it's Yoda Bud. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. You know, Valentine's Day is right around the corner, but not everyone will be celebrating their love. There are sadly many who have been trapped in relationships that are toxic or abusive, who feel escape isn't possible. So we speak with a relationship coach, an advocate who runs a woman's shelter, and even a survivor of a toxic relationship to help you get a better understanding as to why people stay in these relationships and why it's so hard to get out of them. But what should people do once they get out on their own? Should they spend time fixing themselves, get into a healthy relationship, or maybe just start to live their lives? That's why we speak with Cyber Sue, a relationship coach, to figure out what healthy options exist for people trying to get back to being at their best. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help you be at your best. I'll tell you, Torontonians in Ontario were uh, woken up, uh, uh, not woken up out of bed, but woken up in terms of the edge of their seats last evening when the Toronto mayor, John Tory, uh, who just got elected for his third uh, straight uh, term. I don't think that's uh, been done much uh, in Toronto before. Um, and a guy that I you know, got to know a little bit, I was at another radio station and he was on the station uh, often. We got to run into each other. Uh, I know people who know him well. I know people that worked with him and for him and uh, was the guy that was like rock solid. You know what I mean? Like he just, he, he looked right. His hair was right. He was always put together. He conducted himself properly. He was positive. He was polite. He was considerate. But last night he came out to let everybody know that he's stepping down his mirror because he had an affair, a relationship. Now the man's been married for 40 odd years to what he described and what others describe as an amazing woman, a strong, powerful, empowered woman. And uh, Tori, who's in his late 60s, uh, ended up um, in a relationship with a staffer in her 30s. Uh, and uh, they uh, obviously had an affair for a period of time. It broke off. Uh, I guess someone found out about it. We don't really know the backstory. Uh, people found out about it. And uh, he came to the surface with it because I guess, you know, before it, uh, it got uh, sort of put out there uh, without him able to control the narrative, he uh, actually made the announcement himself. Um, Leo, throw the clip up here for us. Listen to John Tory last night uh, as he talks about his resignation. During the pandemic, I developed a relationship with an employee in my office in a way that did not meet the standards to which I hold myself as mayor and as a family man. The relationship ended by mutual consent earlier this year. So doesn't meet the standards what standards i don't know what's what are the standards for having an affair with someone half your age that works for you as a married man of 40 odd years and still actively in that marriage and as a matter of fact i think a year or so ago they they uh they redid their 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 wedding um and you know it's it's a sad it's sad when you look at somebody right you're sad with somebody and you know it's 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 what do you do when someone you see falls from grace like that when someone you know falls from grace, uh, John, some of, here's what uh, Mayor uh, Provincial uh, Premier said, uh, Doug Ford. John will be remembered as a dedicated and hardworking mayor who served as a steady leader through the most difficult days of the pandemic. He united Toronto behind an optimi optimistic vision of, for the future, and I will miss working with him and uh, to see it uh, uh, be working with him to see it come to life. Uh, mayor Tory did an you know uh, did an awful lot of work to uh, to keep things together here in Toronto, along with the Ontario Premier. <clears throat> I think Toronto was. Uh, the, the highest uh, vaccinated, one of the highest vaccinated cities in the world. Uh, he's going to step down to reflect on his mistakes. He says, reflect on my mistakes and do the work to rebuild of rebuilding the trust of my family. So a couple of things here, like talk about being at risk, right? Putting yourself at risk. There are people I've talked to about this story uh, who do not want to be named <clears throat> and who don't necessarily have, <clears throat> excuse me, 
inside knowledge as to what exactly happened. Uh, but a lot of people think that maybe he got sort of trapped into it a little bit. I, I, you know, I don't want to turn this around and make it about the person who he had the affair with, uh, who was his employee and half his age. Uh, but you know, they, and, and again, let's go back to the, let's, I, I got to go backwards here. Like <laughs> sit with me, just, just bear with me here. Right. Young person, working for him, working in his office as a special advisor, traveled. They went to New York. They went to L.A. They went to Europe. They traveled together. They spent a lot of time together during the pandemic. People were hunkering down sometime for 24 hours or longer in government to try to figure out how to make some sense of it all. But I'll tell you, what a mistake, eh? Like the guy who's who was pretty much the Teflon mayor. Like he just, he, nothing wrong with him. He had nothing stuck to him. Everything he did was great. And all of a sudden, because I guess, I don't know, maybe he didn't feel strong about himself. He needed a, a bit of a boost to feel more like a man. Uh, I don't know. Or, or perhaps she was a little flirty or they were flirty and she made him feel good. And But risk your whole life, your whole professional life. He just got reelected. He was in this affair dur you know, during his reelection campaign. Now, the flip side of that is he felt like Superman, you know, about to be reelected. No one was really up against him. Felt like nothing he could do was wrong. You know, virile, strong, pumping his chest, kind of Tarzanish, maybe. I'm making it up, of course. Because I don't know. I wasn't there. But talk about making a making a, a calculated mistake. Like this is a guy who used to think before he did. But what happens when we're in a relationship or when we think? Someone has, you know, the hots for us. If I'm not even sure that even is a saying anymore, but I'm going to use it. Leo hasn't bleeped it, so it's still okay. Well, someone has the hots for you, make you feel good. Maybe, you know, maybe his marriage wasn't doing for him what he needed it to do, or maybe he was just so committed to the his public life that he wasn't doing a good job at home. Who knows what's behind it all? But what a mistake, man. Talk about gambling. We're going to get to gambling a little bit later in the show as the Super Bowl comes up here. I want to give you guys some cautions and some ideas of you know, how you make sure that you're okay. But, you know, gaming, gambling, you know, taking a shot here, rolling the dice. You don't have to roll the dice as you enter a relationship. But certainly if you're in a relationship with two consenting adults that should be in that relationship and are happy to be in that relationship, and I don't necessarily even want to get to the fact he was cheating on his wife. I want to get to the fact that he was running a corporation. And while running that corporation, he had a subordinate young female under his direct care and, and uh, direct purview. And they ended up getting hooked up. In any corporation, any of the big companies, you know, Bell, Rogers, AT&T, MCI, any of the big corporations in the U.S., Canada, you know, it doesn't matter. Canadian Tire, pick a company. I'm not suggesting any of these CEOs, by the way, have a problem. But if they were if they were somehow in a in a relationship with one of their young employees, they'd be ousted in a second. And now there's people saying, well, you know, it, this is Tory's life. It's personal. No one should really pay attention to it too much. You know, it, you know, he was still a great mayor. Listen, the guy's cheating on his wife, then he's going to cheat on Torontonians and, and and Ontarians as well. Like he's going to treat on his cheat on on on. If you can't trust him to be honest in his marriage. I believe you can't trust someone to be honest, period. Listen, we're going to talk tonight about uh, relationships and see if we can help everybody out there uh, that's uh, sort of struggling perhaps in a relationship that's not the healthiest for them. Uh, we had uh, a uh, excuse me, a listener uh, send us a message last week saying, hey, listen, can we talk about uh, emotionally destructive relationships or emotionally abusive relationships uh, as she's in one? She would like to hear some advice from us and from others, experts. And um, so we're obliging and we think it's a really good idea. So we're doing it. You know, there are seven signs that you've been emotionally abused by either a parent, a partner, or someone else. Emotional abuse takes the form of either gaslighting or abuser can isolate you from others. Abusers can actually express extreme jealousy. Uh, you know, isolating you from someone is, is a big part of it. Uh, keeping you away from family and friends, right? Uh, using insulting language, yelling at you, you know, talking to you in a, in a way that is obviously not healthy and, and makes you feel bad about yourself. And that's a big problem. It's an abusive relationships. So we end up feeling bad about ourselves. Shifting the blame. I know a lot of people I work with that come from abusive relationships still feel even a year or two later after 
a bunch of therapy, they still feel that they're somewhat responsible for the situation. You know, the people, you know, the abuser starts acting and jealous and rages and constantly accusing you of cheating and monitoring your cause, looking at your phone, that kind of stuff, controlling how you look, what you wear, outbursts of unpredictable anger. All of a sudden they come home, they're glaring at you. They punch a wall. They make you feel bad because the meal isn't on the table, something like that. Right. So if any of that kind of rings home for you, text us with any questions you have for our experts. 877-399-9898 is how you connect with me directly. Um, my guest this evening, my first guest, is Katerina Alexopoulos, and she is a holistic therapist and wellness consultant. Katerina, thank you for joining us. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Yana. I'm great. I thank you. I appreciate you being here and uh, be really nice if we had other subjects to talk about, but this is a real thing and it's affecting real people and we found it necessary. So here we are and uh, you're going to help us, I'm sure, along the way. You know, Katerina, do, do all relationships start off toxic or abusive or is it kind of like the like uh, when you're grooming somebody, you know, you hear about people that groom people mm -hmm. into into uh, human trafficking and such. We have a lot of experience with that in our practice. Um, is it something that, they, that that the abuser or that the the, the person, the, the, the toxic um, person in the relationship, is it something they build up to or do you kind of know it out of the gate? That's a really great question. And, you know, I'd hate to say it's black and white 100% of the time, but I think what I see a lot is that there's this gradual buildup um, to some of these really negative behaviors that that we see when we're in abusive or emotionally um, difficult relationships. So often what I'll hear is that, um, you know, somebody who later turns out to be abusive will start out the relationship with what we term as love bombing. So love bombing uh, is this, have you, are you familiar with it? Yeah, I love that expression, but explain it to everybody, please. Yeah, of course, of course. So love bombing is when um, the person that you are dating or getting to know is extremely complimentary. They're like just giving you all that you need to hear, they're attentive, they are thoughtful, uh, so, so, so complimentary that you just sort of find yourself in this like bubble of love, right? It, yeah. it, it, it sort of takes you away. Um, yeah. But it, we sort of lose our ability in those situations to sort of discern what's real and what's not. Let's listen to what uh, Phil Collins' daughter Lily has to say about abusive relationships here. Have a listen with me. Yeah, Leo? You don't know what's necessarily happening when you're in it because you're so far in it and yeah. part of you wants to be there. Mm -hmm. But then my body was physically reacting in ways that I've never experienced. Your body is telling you this is not something you're supposed to be in. Yeah. So there you go. Right. Katrina. I mean, you know, you, you know, you're there, you're in the middle of it. You're the, and this love bombing is just a great way to get sucked in. Right. It's all this attention. Maybe people aren't used to it. Um, are people that fall into, I mean, tons of people fall into these, um, terrible relationships that aren't healthy, but does it have a lot to do with the person's uh, self-esteem as they go into it? So is it typically someone who may not feel so great about themselves that tend to fall into this, or can it be someone who's well-empowered and, and have their life together and then slowly over time, uh, the abuser, the person in the relationship picks away at that and, and, and turns them into uh, a victim of this kind of situation? Yeah, I, I think it can definitely go both ways. And I've seen it go both ways. Um, but what I know is that when we're coming into a relationship, maybe not feeling so great about ourselves, or, or not really having um, established a really so strong sense of self, we might be more easily swayed and, and um, influenced by the person that we're dating. And, and in those situations, I think that it's a lot easier to fall into that trap. What are... Um... I, I lifted a few things out of the gate here just to get the story open. Uh, first of all, a couple of things. Like we, we want to hear about some some red flags if we can in a second. But mm -hmm. it's not it's not just romantic relationships we're talking about. Let's be clear, right? We're talking about family yeah. relationships, friendships. You know that friend that calls you in the middle of the night every once in a while because they're too drunk to come home. They don't want to spend the money on Uber. They get you out of bed at three o'clock and you don't know how to say no. That kind of stuff. Um, how do we you know how do we manage it when it's not a, a romantic relationship? It's hard to walk away from family, right? 
Oh, totally. It's so hard. Um, and, and sometimes we, we do walk away and sometimes we set boundaries. But, but first, it's important just to recognize those red flags, like you said. So sometimes, um, you know, we can really look at how we're feeling in a relationship to help us determine whether or not that relationship is healthy. So, for example, do you do you feel devalued and depleted because you seem to be giving way more than you're getting in a relationship like those relationships that are really um, not balanced? That that's a big indicator or another one that I like to sort of use as a measure is when I spend time with a person or, or speak to a person. And how do I feel afterwards? Am I feeling depressed or angry or tired or anxious? Because those are indicators that I'm not getting what I need in that relationship. And I might be giving too much. It's interesting. I tell people in my practice all the time that if you're in a relationship that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, you're not in a good relationship. Uh, that's exactly what what you're uh, what you're saying. So I I feel like I'm uh, I'm being verified at some level. So that's great. Um, the you know. Can you repair? Can you repair uh, a relationship that's broken like that? I, I it depends. I'll, I'll say it depends. First of all, are are you the only one who wants to repair it? Is question one. Um, if if only one person wants to do the work, then it's not gonna it's not gonna get repaired. But if both people, including the person who's having or exhibiting some of those difficult or maybe controlling behaviors, want to get help, then Perhaps it depends. How much work do you want to do here? We can't change other people. We can't wish for other people to change and have them change. They need to have, um, you know, the desire to do it themselves and the capacity to do it and seek out the help often to make those changes because it's not easy to to shift those behaviors if we've been living them our whole lives. At what point? Uh, quick, quick question, quick answer. What what point should someone? choose to actually leave a relationship at what point do you realize hey this isn't getting better i got to get out yeah i mean it, it's hard it's hard because i i would love to say you know as soon as you get that inclination and you've you've given it some critical thought that then and you realize that this is the relationship you're in then leave it but having said that leaving not a so easy relation yeah it can be really complicated and painful especially when your self-esteem has been affected because of the relationship it just leaves you feeling extra vulnerable I'm talking to Katrina Alexopoulos. She's a holistic therapist and a wellness consultant. We're going to have you come back on for sure, Katrina, another time. Thanks for joining us this evening. On one hand, you're in a situation of danger with living with the perpetrator. Your life's in danger. But we know also when a woman leaves, the risk of domestic homicide lethality goes up. Um, risk to children can increase. So I don't, there's no answer. Um, I would certainly uh, not advise someone uh, that the, the systems are going to protect them. But I also don't want women remaining in dangerous situations either. Yeah, this is a follow-up to a story. Mother found dead after sharing video about struggles with Manitoba's child welfare system. It's a story of someone who was struggling to keep her kids. At the same time, she was a victim of abuse. Her, uh, her abuser was released numerous times uh, back into uh, pending court, uh, not held in custody, and, of course, uh, re-offended. Uh, my guest uh, this evening for this segment, uh, her name is Meseret uh, Haley Asus, and uh, she's the CEO of the Canadian Centre for Women in Empowerment. Meseret, thank you for joining us this evening. How are you? How are you? Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Um, when it comes to domestic violence, Meseret, when it comes to domestic violence, uh, who are most commonly the victim? Uh, is it a, a thing specifically? Is it a woman thing? A men, is it often women to men or, or children? Where, who, who else is involved in the process typically when things are going sideways? Yeah, domestic violence, it affects everyone. Uh, but when you see the Sussex, women are mostly impacted, especially women who came from marginalized community, including indigenous, black, racialized, um, and also uh, gender diverse people are highly impacted because of the systemic barrier. But generally, it affects everyone, with regardless of your socioeconomic classes, education status, and also with regardless of like where wherever you are. So it's very intersectional uh, and then very... Uh, you know, uh, terrible, uh, you know, form of, you know, violence. 
Yes, I do. Is is it? You know, some people say. I've heard some people tell me, uh, and I, I I'm not. I kind of nauseated by the response. But some people say, hey, you know, it's a cultural thing, and you know, where 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 we come from, or where they come from, or where she came from, or where he came from. You know, men were were the uh, were the dominant uh, figure in the relationship, and then they come to Canada and they expect to, to live the same way as they did from wherever they came back. Is is that something you see? Is it is it is it something that could be cultural that you come from an environment where men are just typically the ones that dominate and women are submersive, you know, submissive. Um, Or is it just, is it a a personality thing uh, or a combination? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a lot of, uh, you know, layered, uh, you know, situations. Uh, For example, in terms of the culture, yes. Uh, Some cultures, uh, especially I came from Ethiopia, the culture even personally I came from, um, man is a power, man is the one who lead the household and also they are the one who have the power for any decision, including financial decision. I think that's also uh, another thing that uh, play a role. And the other thing is, of course, uh, in some religion as well, as you know, men is also, they are the one who take care of everything. So that's also another layer. Education status is also one of the factors uh, because in some you know, in some situation, women, they don't have any education about her rights. She don't know her economic rights. That's also another factor that affects, like, you know, her decision. So I think it's a combination of all, uh, but most importantly, our gender role, uh, gender stereotypes that really affect women. But as I said, uh, again, for those people who came from different cultures, this issue is very complex. And also, there is also another form of violence I would like to talk about, which is financial and economic abuse, Um, even sometimes Finance is a taboo in many cultures, and then when you add it, uh, family violence, it's very, very complicated for people who came from, like, you know, another culture. So it's a very, very complex, uh, you know, situation. Yeah, I, you know, my next question was, what is the difference between economic abuse and physical and emotional abuse? You know, I, I deal with uh, people in my practice uh, uh, Often women, more, moreover, um, I'd say pretty much 100% women who are in relationships, getting out of those relationships because it's toxic, it's affecting them, their children, uh, but they have no money, they have no access to the bank accounts. They're given allowances. They're you know they bought you know they use a debit card that their husband can, has control over, credit that their husband has control over. Um, this is a, a, a huge factor in helping somebody get out of a, a domestically abusive relationship. How do we help them overcome that and and for, for, for example, how does your organization, what role do they play in, in helping people in that situation? Yeah, thank you so much for mentioning, because this is also, as you know, the most underreported, poorly recognized and seldomly discussed form of family violence, which is always accompanied by other forms of violence, including physical, emotional and then psychological abuse. And when you see also the statistics, 95% of women who experience domestic violence also experience economic abuse. And this is also one of the critical barriers for a woman living in an abusive situation. So usually we advise women um, to have education about their finance uh, because uh, economic abuse is not only finance. It's all about economic resource, for example, transportation, food, uh, and also clothes and some of also some of the basic necessities like you know uh, you know important stuff. So we always encourage women uh, to just to talk to about uh, you know their finance to the bank and also before they leave we always advise them to talk to their credit collector because sometimes abusers they take their you know yeah, date yeah. On, on their name so that's also another yeah. thing. And then, of course, financial literacy is one of the critical, uh, you know, important intervention whenever they have in that kind of information that would be good. And the other thing, we encourage women to keep uh, a copy of their car, house keys, extra money and emergency phone number in a safe place. Uh, we encourage also if their partner control money, look for a way to find more information about his or her income, financial property, you know, real estate property and date. And always good to also to obtain your credit reports from the three major credit bureau. And then, of course, in our organization, we have a financial literacy program. So they can come and join us, you know, any woman in Canada. 
Amazing. I'm talking to uh, Meseret Haley Asus. Asus. She's the CEO of the Canadian Center for Women Empowerment. Um, I have a, a, another question here to, to lead you into. Um, it's never easy to relieve a relationship, uh, Meseret. I know that, right? Especially if there's children involved, and especially, you know, where are they going to go, how they can continue school, how do you feed them, where can you find a place for them to stay, uh, all of that stuff. What uh, quick advice? we got about a minute, minute and a half left. What advice can you give uh, people if they're thinking of uh, getting out of that relationship, running, so to speak? Yeah, so the first thing is I know it's very hard uh, for a woman even to encourage her to leave because leaving is not an easy decision and the most dangerous in our life also decision for many women. So we right. encourage women uh, first if she has any family or friend who you trust, it's good to talk. Sometimes talking, we may, we, they may get like immediate support from their family members. Yes. And the other thing, she's not alone. There's a lot of support and social services in our community. And then the resources out there, I encourage women to use that resource. And if they have also any mental health struggle, it's worth to talk about their family doctors. I know it's very, very hard to talk about their issue and then their story. And the other things also, this has impacted everyone. It's not only that specific woman is impacted by the situation. And then this is, it takes also a lot of, uh, you know, challenge. And the other things also what I would like to remind many women, unfortunately, yeah. our system is not built for many women, especially in Canada, yeah. to kind of like, you know, to succeed and to thrive after the violence. So it takes time. So it needs courage. It needs a lot of patience and work. So, and time. Yeah, yeah, and patience because there's a lot of barriers in terms of the justice system, accessing economic resources, yeah. yeah. repairing their credit card. It takes time. So they have to understand in advance. I appreciate your time. Meseret Haley Asus, uh, CEO of the Canadian Centre for Women and Power. My, my son shared a story with me I thought was quite interesting about a man in Nigeria recently who uh, stole 10,000 Nigerian dollars uh, from uh, his uh, girlfriend, I believe, and uh, his partner, girlfriend. and. Um, they uh he won a lottery he won millions of uh nigerian dollars and at the end of it gave her back her ten thousand dollars she's now suing for her share of the winnings uh but you know it's not uncommon for men in relationships people in relationships primarily men i don't want to be ma male bashing but uh because i have friends out there that will call me and say that it's not just about men, it's about men and women. But for the most part, the statistics show that it's primarily like hugely uh, more men than men being the abuser than women. Uh, but it's a control thing, right? It's a control thing. It's a deception thing, right? Hanging somebody out to dry is kind of a deception thing and, 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 you know, taking advantage of their, of their, uh, their, their, their financial, uh, prowess, their bank accounts, their ability to 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 borrow credit cards, credit. Um, so you know, it, it, you got to be careful when you're in one of these relationships that you know you got to start paying attention to why we got a bank loan and only I signed. You should be asking yourself questions. You should be reading everything, watching everything, thinking about everything you need to sign. And when he says, "Well, just sign here. Don't worry about it," you know, as much as you're probably not going to feel comfortable saying it until you're actually empowered and feel comfortable saying it. It's like, you know, I, I don't mind signing it, but can I just like read it or get another opinion as to what I'm signing? That's why a second legal opinion is something that's required by banks and mortgage companies. And, you know, any, any legitimate institution uh, is going to require that a person have separate independent legal advice before signing documents that might put them in harm's way. Well, there's a guy out there, he had more than a hundred women realized that they that they have dated him. They all been deceived by the same guy. Ontario man is being accused of changing his name, profession, and life story multiple times to potentially to potentially more than a hundred women online before leaving some of them, you know, out of tens of thousands of dollars. Even though he was convicted of three fraud charges a decade ago in what police called an online dating scam at that time. He's racked up new charges in several regions of our province of Ontario since then. Changes, uh, charges, re charge, charges records show he never appeared in court to face any of them. 
and justice system struggles to keep up with him. Uh, someone, a uh, uh, news person in Toronto, spoken to several women, many of them single mothers. They knew this man is Johnny Myers, John Myers, John Boulder, and John Molders. And some of those women said they've been in contact with up to 150 more. So that they have been in contact with more than 150 more women involved in this situation, right? Uh, we have Kevin in Calgary, um, and we have Marie in Edmonton. Can, can, let's uh, hear from Kevin. Um, how you doing, buddy? I'm, a, I'm all right. Um, how are you? I'm okay. I, I'd rather be talking about how people are so in love they can't stand it, but um, what do you got to share with us? Well, wouldn't that be nice, hey? Yeah, um, really? Well, I, just, I guess I was listening, and... and um... Uh, abuse is, you know, it's horrible, um, but it, it feels like as a guy who's been through uh, two really, really abusive uh, marriages, yeah. it's uh, it's especially hard to, to be believed. Uh, yeah, right, right. It really, it really is. Yeah, since I've got you on here, Kevin, I'm going to ask you a couple of a question. And first of all, I really appreciate you reaching out, and it takes a lot of a lot of a lot of strength to do that. And you're going to be helping others. Did you did you feel that, like you said, people judge you negatively and they don't believe you? Is that's the biggest challenge, right? Is for someone to actually believe that what you have to say makes sense, especially a guy, right? It's, it's when yeah. a guy says, "I'm in an abusive relationship with this girl," it's like, "Yeah, come on, really? Like, what do you mean by abusive?" But I get it because totally. I have a lot of guys in my practice that that come from the same sort of thing. Um, how did you? How did you manage it, or how are you currently managing your situation? Well, it's it's really been a struggle. Um, I I had actually reached out to to some different uh, social worker uh, type people, my doctor. Uh, the pastor at the church, and and basically everyone uh, gave me the same kind of response. Was like, wow, well, I mean, come on, you know, it, it can't be that bad, or you, you just need to look at it different. And it was like, once I once I realized how wrong the advice was, and I really wasn't, um, I wasn't exaggerating. I wasn't. I, I don't know. It became really empowering to be able to say to people, um, no, I, I really was being abused and it wasn't okay. Um, um, Kevin, Kevin, really Kevin we, we have such limited time, and I want to ask you another question. In, it, give me an idea of, are we talking about physical abuse, emotional abuse? Like, I don't want, you know, I don't want to emotional. put you in an uncomfortable spot either, but give us an idea of, of what you mean by abuse. Uh, for me, it was largely emotional right up until the end. Um, I was, I was, I, I was basically convinced uh, that that I was uh, worthless and I I couldn't do it alone. And I was, I was, I was trapped yeah. at a place where no one would help, but I couldn't leave because I knew I. I believed I couldn't do it on my own. Yeah, you feel like you're weak without the other person. Uh, appreciate you sharing with us today, Kevin, and thank you so much for being a listener, and I really hope that you're on the other side of this, and uh, it takes a lot of parts to call, buddy, so kudos to you. we got a couple of minutes left, and we have uh, Marie in Edmonton. Good evening, Marie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, good. Before I briefly tell you my tale of woe. I have I'm a thriver and I got through everything with the help of social organizations and welfare because I ended Amazing. up with two kids. But what you know, I'm a child of the fifties, so right there yeah. Yeah. I my my whole family was alcoholic and I witnessed abuse, emotional abuse, grandfather beating up grandmother and oh and and then religion, you know, play, kept, yeah. played a big yeah. trip on my head, right? Turned into a yeah. people pleaser. Ended yeah. up, because I was so starving for love, I married uh, my stalker uh, who raped me. 
And I ended up marrying this person thinking, oh, I can make it work, right? But it, it turned into a nightmare. And and, then, and, and, and and you came out and you came out the other side of it. I I, I, I you're right at the other. We're talking to someone who's yeah. surviving this and has thrived uh, going forward. Uh, we got about. I, I, we only have limited time, and I'm so sorry because I want to give you the time you deserve. Um, but Marie, what was the single? We got we got like 30 seconds. The single most important thing you can tell somebody when they're trying to get out of a bad situation. <sighs> Rely. There are systems out there like welfare and all these. Don't be afraid to go. And and if you have a chance to develop your own bank account or save money or hide money, save, you know, do the best you can. But there are welfare systems to help you and welfare saved my life. Mother's Marie, M- M- Marie, I can't. I just can't thank you enough for being on with us and just sharing with people that you came out the other side in one piece. A lot of people will be snacking tomorrow, Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, this in our champions uh, segment here. I decided we're going to take a little step away from our champions segment for today. We're going to talk about gaming and gambling just a little bit to see if we can help people uh, keep from losing their homes. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday's online sports betting America's next opioid crisis. As millions of Americans bet on this weekend's Super Bowl, gambling experts are warning <clears throat> that the loser online betting, the looser, online betting rules. There should be loser online betting rules, actually. I had it right the first time. Looser online betting rules are fueling a wave of new addicts and time bomb of bankruptcies, suicides, and broken families in the coming years. You know, I treat people with with addiction um, disease, and and, uh, one of those compulsive diseases and issues is gaming and gambling. Uh, People lose their houses. You know, I know I have a I have someone who I worked with uh, not long ago who uh, lost two hundred and seventy three thousand dollars on a Sunday afternoon online. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you do that with all of the restrictions and all the safety nets and stuff that are supposed to be in place here, right? To to make sure that this doesn't happen. Uh, but it's it's an interesting it's an interesting situation as far as I'm concerned because. Um, you know, you're, you're, you you got to look at it. We got to look at it in terms of, um, you know, the choices we make, right? The choices we make, the decisions we make, we got to make sure are somewhat healthy. Um, the uh, alarm, there, here we go. A record of 50.4 million Americans are predicted to spend or bet up to 16 billion on Sunday's clash between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, according to the American Gaming Association, a 61% jump over last year. Because all the online gaming that's now available makes these pla- these platforms make it so easy. Uh, anything you stick on a phone that lets people drain their bank accounts in one evening is a bad idea, according to Brian Hatch. He's forty, a recovering gambling addict based in Connecticut. I think it'll be the next opioid crisis. So let's get ahead of this thing and uh, chat for a little bit here about um, you know something that might you might want to look at and think about as something where you might have a problem here, right? Um, So five signs that you may have a gambling problem. Gambling is one of the most crafty or subtle vices we can face because it gives the illusion of easy money. That, of course, can lead to financial uh, uh, destruction. Uh, Whether it's blackjack, bingo, gambling is a strong industry because the house always wins. And and not just that, right? So gambling comes in a lot of different ways. Casino tables, electronic gaming machines, lotteries. That's a big one, right? Lottery tickets are by far the most popular gaming activity in Canada. About 65% of adults participate in lotteries, while 36% purchase scratch tickets. Only about 22% of adults visit casinos in Ontario. Of those who do visit casinos, 49% say they only play slot machines. These are Canada-wide numbers. Canada's gaming industry generated $17.3 billion in 2017, uh, dropping to $15 billion in 2019. And uh, it's just an astounding amount of money, right? It's affecting younger people. Um, 18 to 25 are more likely to play video games. Video games are believed to be a key factor in the decline of the gaming industry that's been faced. Lottery tickets are purchased more often by 19 to 35-year-olds. Bingo is popular amongst the uh, 40-plus crowd. Slot machines are commonly used by 50 to 65-year-olds. Quebec's the gambling center of Canada, right? Quebec Gambling Center of Canada. 
With over 10,000 gaming venues such as casino, bingo halls, however, only 66% of Quebecers are estimated to visit them, while 83% of Ontario's visit local venues. 57% of women in Ontario gamble at least in-person at in-person gaming events, gambling events, and online gambling numbers are less uh, even between the sexes. 81% of online gamblers are men. <clears throat> so how do you know that you got a problem, right? How do you know that you got a problem? It's pretty simple. You start lying about your gaming, lying about your gambling, lying to hide your behavior is a more core symptom of any addiction, including gambling. When the compulsions become so strong that you become willing to lie to people to cover your gaming or gambling, deep down inside you know that what you're doing is wrong, but you continue to do it anyway. It's a pathological problem. Gamblers lie to themselves. You know, they convince, convince themselves that they're going to be okay. Second thing is if you're gambling more than you can lose, People often gamble more money than they can afford and uh, end up in a really bad space. We, we learned that casual social gamblers and conservative gamblers put limits on time and money that they spend gambling. Now, you should also bear in mind when your emotions are negatively affected by your gambling, you know that it's a problem. So similar to any other addiction, right? Uh, compulsive gambling is a coping mechanism and helps people cope with whatever they're trying to run away from or, or make better, make their lousy lives better, so to speak, or difficult lives better. Um, and you know, th that's a problem. So when it's starting to affect you and it's, you know, you're, you're using it to escape from bad or stressful situations, the act of gambling is stirring up all kinds of negative emotions. So when you're not gambling, the reward center of your brain has lost that feel good neurotransmitter that causes you to feel sluggish, irritable, you're unhappy. It's the same as if you're looking for your, your drug, right? You're looking for your buzz and you can't get it. Some of the symptoms are identical. You're obsessed with gambling. It's another thing you need to take control over if you're, if you're feeling any of these things that I'm sharing with you. You need to get help right away. Uh, impulse control is lost in a pathological gambler, resulting in the obsession with the act of gambling and the possibilities of winning. But in some cases, it's not the gambling. A lot of people make bets because they're looking to lose. It's it's a strange, it's a strange uh, um, dynamic between you and you. You know, some people want to gamble because they're looking to win. A lot of people gamble because of the self harm aspect of losing. It's very difficult to treat. Gaming addiction is very difficult to treat. So is gambling, because the it, it, it's so deeply rooted and it's it's a silent disease, right? It's a silent action. You don't really see it. Um, so if you're obsessed with gaming or gambling, you need to get help. You need to see and, and talk to somebody who might help you through this. And then another thing that you have to look at as a problem that your loved ones think you have a problem. When someone says, hey, you know, I think you've got a problem and there's someone that you love and trust, chances are that you do. Listen, my friends, we all have things that we do that maybe we shouldn't. Maybe I have a few more potato chips on a in an evening than I should or a, a chocolate bar when I shouldn't. And, uh, you know, maybe I eat something that I shouldn't. And for me, it's that kind of cheating that I do with food that I shouldn't really eat uh, because I'm like everyone else. Sometimes my urges take me over, right? And, you know, if you got a problem and someone says to you, hey, you know what, you know, you're, you're, you're spending a lot of your money on, 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 on lottery tickets or you seem to be, you know, you, you have money left at the, at, you don't have the money left at the end of the day. I, I work with somebody in a, in, a, in a different capacity and this person earns like crazy amounts of money. I'm talking about uh, 50, 60, 70, $100,000 a month. And uh, at the end of the month, they have no money left because they're spending their money on gaming and gambling. And it doesn't seem to make sense when you look at it and it doesn't make sense to them when they look back and go, wow, where did all my money go? But you just keep feeding the animal, right? You just keep feeding it. And it's so easy to do this online. So my friends, if you feel like you're a little bit out of control, get it under control now. There's help that you can get now. There's all kinds of places you can go to get the change, to get, to get the, the help to help you change if you're looking for it. There's online gambling support groups that talk about Gamblers Anonymous is another organization that's very strong. So before you start spending all kinds of money on the football game this weekend, first of all, if you're going to gamble for fun, that's one thing. Gamble a little bit that you can afford, whatever that number is. But if you can avoid it altogether, if you think you might be under control, that's probably a better solution. Because it doesn't take long before you're into your overdraft or you're using credit cards or advances in some other way. 
So you end up gambling or spending more than you can afford. Now you're what they call upside down. And we don't want to find ourselves in that situation. And again, if you have a problem, reach out, get some help. You can always give me a call, 877-777-5808. I'll do what I can to help or direct you to someone who can help you if I can't. Listen to the clip here coming up. Lindsay Free from uh, theexit.com reminds viewers that it usually takes more than one attempt. Let's have a listen quickly to this, uh, this quick clip. Leaving uh, an abuser is never that easy. There are usually so many factors at play that make a person feel like they just can't walk away from the relationship. Yeah, you know, it's just more difficult for people to walk away than they think, you know, and if you are losing yourself trying to please the other person and grab their undivided attention, right, you got to be looking at that. Um, how do you know you're losing yourself in a relationship? Uh, they're not fulfilling your needs or you're compromising your values and uh, you do that often. It's more than a 50-50 relationship. You seem to be giving up more than they are in the relationship. We have an expert who's going to join us right now. Her name is Susan McCord. She's a dating relationship coach, advice columnist, and host of the Dear Cyber Sue Advice Show. Sounds like an incredible story, an incredible show. Susan McCord, thank you for joining us tonight. Hi, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Cyber. So should we be calling you Cyber Sue? Sure. I'm I'm looking for the t-shirt that you're wearing with like the, 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 the big S on the front, not quite Superman, but I'm sure along the way, you know, yeah. uh, And you know, it's sad that we have to be here having these conversations, but let's see if we can help some people along the way. Um, So Susan, do you, uh, excuse me, do you find that people who get out of toxic, abusive relationships uh, at the end of it? I mean, I do in my practice and when I hear from people, they takes them a long time to stop blaming themselves. Is that something you see when people come to you as well? Yes. And the, the, the thing is, it's very important to own your part in any relationship that you have and learn the lessons as you go along. But unfortunately, when you get into toxic or abusive style relationships, those are, as you said earlier, very, very difficult to walk away from because there's a lot of control that comes with it. And when you allow yourself to be put into that situation, you're not planning on allowing yourself to be put in that situation. So then you get sort of where you blame yourself for getting into that place. And so what happens when they do finally are able to sort of walk away, they hold on to it because they're sort of angry at themselves as well. And that's a big a lot, part of why it's hard to move on. Yeah, a lot of self-blame, right? A lot of, a lot of you know, I, I should have done something different. I mean, I have yep. uh, people I see in my, in my practice all the time who said, you know, say something like, well, he only, he only hits me on Thursdays when he's had a bad day at work. Or, you know, if I don't have the dinner ready or the soup isn't hot enough, you know, I, I could probably be doing a better job. And I'm, you know, you look at them and go, well, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that's how we want to look at it. You know, in your experience, Susan, um, what are the, some of the most common hurdles people face uh, when trying to get out of a toxic relationship? I mean, things like low self-esteem and that kind of stuff. What, what, what seems to be the top two or three common hurdles in trying to get out of a relationship that's not good for you? Well, part of it is because when you do end up in these type of relationships, you're not feeling whole within yourself for the most part. There's something missing and mm-hmm. you're looking for someone either to take care of you or to be maybe the boss in the relationship. And what happens is you tend to just sort of hold on to that. So when it's not there anymore, you don't feel as maybe as powerful by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been leaning on them for so long for that sort of power, even though it's not power, as you know, it's more it's a it's a control a very dangerous control because it's hard to break away from being taken care of to that degree even though yeah. at the end of the day you're not being taken care of you're right but you know yeah you know, people say to me, off, I don't mean right? to cut exactly. I don't mean to cut you off, but people say to me, you know, I don't know how to pay the bills, Yona. I, I don't even know where the bank account is. Uh, I, I don't know how yep. to pay the rent or the mortgage. Uh, you know, my car payments due. I'm not even sure how, what I do with that. Like he controlled everything. 
Uh, yes. and, you know, they, they find themselves very lost on the outside. Um, I'm talking to Susan McCord. She's a dating and relationship coach. She's also an advice columnist and host of Dear Cyber Sue Advice Show. That's something you probably want to check out. Um, do you suggest, when one is free of a toxic relationship, Susan, um, is there anything that one should avoid right away? Like, for example, jumping into another relationship um, or, you know, what are, the, yes. what are the things that you don't want to do immediately thereafter? Well, you want to you, you want to figure out first of all what attracted you to this toxic or abusive person in the first place. So, you have to take some time to sort of be away from it to sort of look back in on it. And so, what happens is a lot of people, if they're repeating um, these patterns where they're allowing similar people back into their life, they're not taking enough time between relationships to really value themselves and to look and see what transpired. Uh, and a lot of people will go back into relationship after relationship after relationship without taking any time to sort of say, okay, how do I trust myself moving forward? Because yeah, how, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you trust yeah, yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. until yeah. you've had some time to reflect and to own what transpired and how you got to that place with that person? And a lot, a lot can, of people, yeah, go ahead. You were saying, no, I was going to say a lot of people go for familiar stuff, which isn't always a good fit. Familiar doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. It's just something that you're used to. So a lot of times people might choose a little bit better the next time. It might not be as bad, but there's still remnants of that behavior because they haven't learned how to completely get it out of their, out of their life. Yeah, it's not, it's not, take time. Yeah, it's not really that. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's almost a level of somewhat to, to some degree, a bit of self harm. And it's kind of like chasing, you know, your drug of choice at the same time, you know, because yes. people come out of, people come out of these relationships sometimes 24, 25 years later, and they mm -hmm. just have no idea what life looks like on their own. They don't have the strength or the, the confidence to go, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a shelter now, but I'm going to leave the shelter. I mean, if they're fortunate enough to get to a shelter, if I leave the shelter, you know, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? They don't have the skills. They don't have the confidence. They don't have the money. Um, that seems to be a, so, a big, a big so hole. Right. Back, what you right? said. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's it's like, I'm stuck. Why... I don't have the tools. Right. Yeah. You're right. It's a, I mean, I'm not going to say it's an addiction, but it's definitely something that they, yeah, they don't have the tools. That's why I think therapy, when you're dealing with something to this degree, that's, yeah. you know, in that sort of dangerous realm of, of, of hurting somebody to that, you know, to that level, you really do. It's really hard to do it on your own. My guest uh, this evening uh, right now is Susan McCord. We're going to have her join us in just a second here. We're talking about how to know, how do you know if you're settling for less? So if you're in a relationship that's not making you feel good about yourself, you're in a relationship where you're settling for less. If you're in a relationship where you're doing 50%, 60%, 80% of the work and it's not an equal relationship, you're settling for less. If you're in a relationship where someone isn't taking the time to deal with the things you need, you want, you deserve, you're settling for less. And we recommend, Susan and I, that you don't settle for less. Listen, to, I want you to hear from the, from this man here on TikTok uh, how he used to uh, chase love in the wrong places. He had to learn to love himself. Here, have a listen here, Leo. Can you play that? Well, I used to love hard. Now I love accordingly. I used to be that one that would go the extra mile for people that wouldn't even cross the street from me. That's when I had to learn how important it is to love somebody that loves you. Because no matter how much you love someone, you can't make them love you back. Oh, God. I'll tell you, man, I couldn't have said it better myself. Susan, pretty good clip, right? I mean, it says it yeah. says exactly where it's at, exactly yeah. where it's at. Yeah, um, and that's why it's yeah. so important to pay attention to red flags when you first meet somebody. Yeah, it, so let's, let's, yeah, let's talk about, let, let's say, I, I, again, you're gonna, I'm going to cut in on you, and it's not because I'm trying to be yeah, rude. Just, I want I want, I got so much to say, and I've got a bubbling here, um, and I have ADD for what it's worth. Uh, but listen, um, you know, the red flags that, you know, the, you know, we tried to kind of address it earlier on in the show. So, but, you know, one of the, the kind of the top three things that, you, you, you know, when, when before you get into the relationship, you know, we, we always talk about how to get out of a relationship and what happens when you're in a toxic relationship and how do you know, how do you, you know, extricate yourself from it? How do you avoid getting into one, Susan? 
Well, first of all, I mean, it sounds kind of boring, but communication is really number one, how they communicate with you. So if they're asking you out on a date and they're legit with making it happen and everything they say that's going to go on on the date actually happens, that's a good first date. They respect you. They give you eye contact. There's no... They're not talking about sex in the first five minutes All the, where they just respect you. And you guys can have a really nice face-to-face talk. That is something that, uh, believe it or not, sounds very simple, but it's amazing how many dates that doesn't happen. It becomes a sexual conversation very quickly. A lot of the times people jump into bed very quickly and that becomes a problem because when you have that kind of an environment really quickly, it doesn't give you the clarity that you would have if you took your time getting there because women are much more emotional when it comes to that sort of thing as well. So then they kind of get a little bit stuck sometimes. So it's good to pace yourself. So I would say as a red flag, if they're talking really quickly about sex and things like that, either walk away from it, don't see them again, or just change the subject so that it doesn't go there. Because if you allow it, it's going to continue in that direction. You know, I have have three boys. Uh, One is married. uh, The others are uh, healthily involved in various in the relationships. Um, But I've told my kids for I have three boys. I told them for a long time that uh, when you're on a date, ask a lot of questions and show interest in the person you're on the date with. That's a real sign, isn't it? If you're out with someone and they're talking all about themselves and what they have and the car and their job and flexing their muscles and looking at themselves in the mirror and they're totally focused on themselves, big red flag that, Hey, they're not going to be spending that much time thinking about what my needs are. Right? Exactly. Eye contact is super important. Body language is another thing. Watch how they are. Right. And your boys, what you're teaching your boys is awesome because was, um, when you're on a date, you should have reciprocated communication, conversation. It right. should be where you walk away and you know a little bit about each other. It's not where one person is just, you know, yapping away about who they are. And then you, you go home, you don't know it, you know, they don't know anything about you. And so that's another red flag if, if it's not a reciprocated converse, uh, conversation. And that they actually ask questions that make you look at them and say, wow, this person really does want to get to know me. It's yeah, not just all exactly. superficial yeah. crap, right? Yeah, I love, I love, you, yeah. Can, you can tell if there's a genuine interest, right? So it's, it's more difficult to, I mean, you're, 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 your show is called Cyber Sue. So let's step over there a little bit. You know, it's one thing, you know, like I'm an old school guy. I've been married forever and ever. But back in my dating years, and I dated a bunch of times, been married a few times, been engaged a whole bunch of times. But, you know, it's one thing. You go out on a date, you see you sit across the table, or you go for a walk, you sit on a bench. I was a big hand holder. You know, I like going for walks. I like to sit yeah. and look at the water together. You know, I'm a very romantic kind of guy. And I know just start to cry thinking about it, right? But, um, but seriously, so... <laughs> But when you're in the cyber world, so much more difficult. And a lot of these relationships, especially for young people, you know, um, young people being, you know, Mm -hmm. 20s, 30s, you know, a lot of those relationships are founded on a cyber relationship first. What kind of what what kind of tricks can we look for when we don't have that same eye to eye opportunity, but it's, you know, either video at best or more often text and, and phone calls? Right. And this is one, I'm glad you asked that question, because this is one big thing that is is turning into a bit of a nightmare for a lot of people, where they're texting and texting and texting and texting. And half the time, they'll be texting for six months and they've never met them. And I always say, you know, if you, you can text for a couple of weeks and maybe get to know them, but... Go and have a coffee at least. Um, yeah. Ask, just say, okay, let's, let's, you know, talk in person. Let's go for a coffee. And I always suggest doing a coffee over a, a dinner because coffee is not intimidating. You don't have to worry about what you wear. If you're going on a big expensive dinner date, you're sitting there for three hours and not being uncomfortable. So go for coffee, but don't get into this texting. This is what's happening. There's a lot of people on, in Cyberland that are just having fun texting. They have no, yeah. no, I, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not even planning on meeting some of these people yeah. they're talking to. And so this is had, where you get, you know, you figure it out quicker that way by saying, let's get, I, let's meet up for coffee. 
I had I had a woman tell me the other day we were we were chatting. She was interested in getting some help, some therapy, and we were chatting about her life and her social life. And I said, you know, are you dating anyone? She says, yes, I've had a boyfriend for the last seven months. I said, are you living together? She says, no, he lives in a different city. And I found mm-hmm. out that they've been together for months and months and months. She's never met him. Yeah, and she she's pla- she's planning to go down to the U.S. to see him. And my recommendation was, you know, maybe you want to rethink that a little bit. Um, (laughs) We got got about a minute or so, a minute, minute and a half left before I got to let you go. But um, and I'd love to have you come back on. So make sure we stick with each other here. But um, when when people are in when people are getting out of a relationship, Susan, and and they share a group. So you've been in a relationship. You've been married, perhaps like 20 years. You got a few kids. You're trying to get out of the relationship because you can't stand it anymore. How do you do that when you share friends well that's the big problem you do lose a lot of friends when you split up i mean i've been married this is my second marriage i'm in and you said you've been in a couple (laughs) but so what happens is yeah you i mean you probably know from your own experience you don't hold on to all the same friends you will maintain a few uh, or maybe more than a few depending on how you were with the friends during that your time together because maybe they prefer you know, my husband back in the day, right? And so what happens is you have to start, if you want to really separate and move on quicker, the, make the breakup faster, you have to separate yourself from the life you had with them, which means change your establishments you go to, change some of the friendships, and, and take down, you know, pictures and a lot of things that remind you of them because that's what holds you hostage, is when you've got some good memories. And women are remember a lot more stuff that way. Guys are better at sort of saying, okay, I'm done. Women kind of yeah. remember fewer of the good things and hold on to them. So I'm talking to Susan McCord. Yeah, I'm talking to Susan McCord. She's a dating relationship coach, advice columnist, and host of the Dear Cyber Sue Advice Show. We're definitely going to have her come back on. But just wrapping up this segment, I want you all to recognize something that, um, you know, in, in order to understand... Uh, a relationship, you need to be able to live in that relationship today. And we're talking about mindfulness. I talk about it often on the show, being mindful, live in the relationship today. So if today you're feeling good, then that's the day you want to count on. But don't count on stuff from the past, trying to come back to make this day better if it's not. So it's what you're living in today that matters. And what you used to have together may have been different. You know, you hear before the kids, he was different. And before I got a job, he was different. And we were both working, mm-hmm. he was different. You know, so, um, yeah, just uh, keep mind, be mindful of the fact that, uh, that um, you know, Today is what counts and, you know, a good plan for tomorrow. So thank you, Susan, for joining us. We appreciate you being here with us. 